Well, good morning, 9th Street. I'm glad that you've joined us again from your home. Hope that you're doing well. And uh, I'm excited for us this morning to jump back into our, our study of our Core 52 under the theme of Leave It Better. And so we've approached it from this perspective of, of leave it better because that's what Jesus did, right? Did anyone leave a bigger impact on the world with less than Jesus? He ignited a movement that continues around the world 2,000 years later, yet he had so little. Few financial resources, little technology, a small insignificant group of co-workers, and yet he never left that small piece of dirt in the Middle East. Yet he made such a huge difference. And so it ought to make us consider, how did he do that? So as we continue in our Core 52 study under the theme of Leave It Better, we're looking this morning at the second of five traits that Jesus embodied in his leadership and his ministry style that, that, um, that were at the root of how he made such a difference in the world. And he left the better, world better than he found it. And so last week we saw that the number one thing that he did was the kind of shepherd that he was. He was a good shepherd. And so today we look at the humility with which he approached the world. He came and he left the world better. And so certainly one of the traits that, that caused the most influence uh, through his life was the distance between who he really was and who he lived and died as during his time on this earth. Uh, Paul summarizes that so well in our memory verse here this week. Um, Philippians chapter 2, it's a long one, right? And so I struggled with it. I still don't know if I've got it down yet, but, but boy, it's a good one. Uh, it's a good few verses, whether you can get it all tucked away in here or not, but just knowing it here is good. Paul says this, Philippians 2, verse 5 and following. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. A couple of phrases there that I think that just highlight the distance between who he was and, and who he lived like here on this earth, right? Though he was God. I just don't brush by those words. That's a bold statement. Though he was God. With all the glory, power, prestige, and worship that comes with being God, the king of the universe, adored by angels, obeyed by creation. And though he was all those things, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. From his humble birth to his humble life to his humiliating death, humility was what he lived with. And humility is what drew him and drew people to him. I think it also drew him to people, but boy, it drew people to him because of the way he lived his life. And so here's this key thought that I, I hope that will uh, we'll kind of stick with you. When the one who wears the crown shows up in the form of a humble servant, things will be different. Hear that again. When the one who wears the crown shows up in the form of the humble servant, things will be different. Now, maybe not everything, but a lot of things will be different and will begin to change because of that principle. And so I want to read you one of my favorite Jesus stories. 
this morning. It ranks high in my book because of this very trait. It's the humility of Christ is on full display. It comes from John chapter 13, uh, beginning in the first one. Again, John chapter 13, beginning in the verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 5 and skip down a few verses. And, and I want you to hear this. It says this. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He got up from the supper table. He laid aside his outer garments and he take, taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and, and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wa wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Think on those words with me here this morning. While we are drawn to positions of, of power and exercising of human power and strength and, and political positions, and we're drawn to all those places, Jesus shows us a different way, a better way, uh, the way of humility. I don't need to say too much about that story, right? It, it kind of speaks for itself, right? It's God, Jesus, washing the feet of his nasty, nasty feet of his disciples and pretty clear example and teaching there. And so Jesus impacted his disciples because he led with such humility. And so when the one who wears the crown shows up in the form of the humble servant, things begin to change. Things will be different. And so how does humility do this? How does humility have this power over us? Well, I think number one is this. I think humility lived out testifies to contrasting kingdoms. I think when we live out humility like Jesus is showing here, it just kind of highlights the, the idea, the truth from the Bible, that there are two opposing kingdoms at work in this world now, now, you know there are different ways of doing things, right? Uh, if you are married, um, husbands, you know that there's your wife's way, and then there's the wrong way. Right? I love this story of a man who went to the store with his three-year-old daughter in tow. Since he was just there to grab some essentials, like milk and bread, he opted to save some time and by not pushing a cart through the store. That's not the way mommy does it. His daughter informed him, uh, look, I know, dear, that daddy's way is okay, too. 
He replied, leaving the store. Now it's all pouring down rain. And without a card, he grabs the bag, grabs his daughter, grabs his, his milk and makes the mad dash for his car. And not wanting to set anything down on the wet ground, he, he quickly puts the milk on the top, opens the door. The kid's in, the, the groceries are in, and he's in the front door, front seat. And, and he's quite proud of himself because of the way he just did that fine maneuver. That's not the way mommy does it came the retort from the little girl. Well, honey, there's more than one way to do things, he replied patiently. Daddy's way is okay, too. And as they pulled out and headed down the street, he became aware of the scraping sound on the roof as the jug of milk slid down the length of the rooftop, bounced off the trunk, and then just splattered to the ground, sending a froth of white milk in every direction. In the millisecond he took to process his mistake, his young daughter looked at him in the most serious of voices, said, that's not the way mommy does it. So there are different ways, right? And this text illuminates two ways to live and to be in the world, doesn't it? As you listen to that story, that text from John 13, you see these contrasting ways the Bible always has talked about two different kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, and, and the king of this world, uh, other terms for it. But if you zoom out from the scene, you kind of see the, the workings of these two kingdoms, right? You've got Satan who is, who is uh, playing this out in, in his own ways, wanting to rid himself and rid the world of Jesus. And, and so as John 10, 10 describes Satan, his, his mantra, mantra, his goal is to steal and kill and destroy wanting to destroy any good thing God might do for humanity. And so he has worked out these plans. He has worked in the heart and the life and the mind of, of Judas to betray Jesus. The plan's already done. And so they're in this scene. Uh, Judas has already put things in place. You just see the, the conniving, the, the, the evil at work um, that Satan is wreaking on the situation. So there's one kingdom at work in this situation. But then you find Jesus. The humble Jesus, who again in John 10, 10 says, while the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so Jesus is in the business of living out this humility. And it's through that humility that he brings life to people. He lifted them. He loved them. He blessed them. He, he cared for them. He communicates blessing to those he loved through acts of humility towards them. And so whenever you choose humility over pride, you also testify that there is another way. There is another kingdom, not just the selfish one, me first kingdom that so many of us are, are drawn to. When you choose Jesus, when you choose like Jesus, excuse me, uh, to exemplify this, this humility, to you, you choose to be full of grace and service. Even to those who feel like the Judas is in your life, you display this other kingdom. Again, don't be so quick to read this passage. You forget the beauty and the power of Jesus washing the feet of Judas. What a powerful moment. Or when you choose to live from a clear sense of kingdom calling. I love John's descriptive words that he uses about Jesus. Uh, he knew that all things had been given to him by his father, knew where he came from, knew he was soon going back to him. He just knew his identity and he was so clear in that. 
And so he could serve because he knew his life was secure in the Father's hands. He could be humble. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He needed nothing from these disciples so he could serve freely. Or if you choose to be selfless, not worrying about what others think as you serve someone, but just serving because it's right and there's a need, as Jesus does, you display this kingdom way. And so when you choose to live out humility in your marriage or in your parenting or your friendships or in office settings or in the workplace or in your neighborhood or in some other part of the world, you stand in contrast to the self-centered, me-first world philosophy that has such a strong grip on our world. And so when you uh, choose to do that, you just display a different way. And I think that's what Jesus is inviting them to. The world will see that. And so when the one who wears the crown shows up in the form of the humble servants, things will be different. And so humility testifies to kingdom contrasts. But also number two, I just want you to see that humility creates teachable moments. Humility creates teachable moments. I don't think Jesus was saying anything new here in John 13 that hadn't been said before. But his humble actions grabbed their attention in such a way that they listened in a different way. Now, maybe you've been in a band uh, or maybe you've been on a ball team or maybe you've been in some work environment where uh, the, the team just isn't really focused on mission, isn't really listening to the coach or the teacher or the leader. Um, and, and so the leader decides to do something extreme, right? I remember my coach one time walked out on practice in the middle of something when we were goofing off, not doing what he wanted us to do. And all of a sudden we realized coach is not there. It's like, okay, what do we do with this? He had our attention, right? Um, various leaders do all kinds of things like that to try to grab the attention of their people. But Jesus didn't just do wild things. Jesus did humble things. In this situation, he chooses to use this example of humility to display and to grab their attention in a way that, that they hadn't before. You see, if you read in Luke chapter 22, you get this scene, this scenario where just prior to this, the disciples have been arguing about who's the greatest. Who's going to sit by Jesus in, in, this, in this fancy meal, right? Who has the right to sit closest to him? And so they're all boasting about their credentials, who's the greatest, who's done what, who's got this in their life. And, um, and Jesus just puts all that aside. Through his humility, he knocked down all the walls of pride and pretense that were present just a few moments before. And all that was gone. And their focus was just firmly fixed on the one who had just shed his crown and taken up the, the mantle of the servants and was now just doing the most humble of things and washing their feet. It created a teachable moment because when the one who wears the crown shows up in the form of the humble servant, things will be different. And so humility, humility testifies to these kingdom contrasts and humility creates teachable moments. But number three, I think humility also leaves a lasting impact. And this is the part that I think is just special to me. Go back to that upper room. You don't forget a scene like this very quickly, do you? Especially if you're there. When you look back at this scene after the cross and the resurrection, just a few hours that'll take place after this moment in the upper room. But as you go back and you replay that scene and the beauty of that moment, you're struck by the significance of what happened there. 
when Jesus does what he does here, humbly washing their feet, taking the form of the lowest servant, there was no doubt what Jesus thought about these disciples. John says in chapter 13, verse 1, that Jesus has loved them and he has loved them to the very end. Their hearts and their souls, they felt the worth of Jesus pressed down upon them. Jesus could have said he loved them, and I know he'd said that many times, but his humility in serving them right now, like he did here, drove home that truth deep into their hearts and souls. And how important would that truth be in the days and weeks and years to come? They were about to embark on a mission in which they would be viciously opposed, painfully treated, and rudely handled. Their new world would be one full of fears and countless challenges and uncertainties. What would hold them and sustain them in that work? What would keep them going? I believe it was the lasting impact of a moment like this, where the Son of God, the one who wears the crown, loved them with such humility and care and tenderness. And I think when you combine the power of Christ and his resurrection, and you join that with the humble love of Christ shown in situations like this, you find a sustaining and motivating power. You want to spend and invest your life with someone and into someone who humbly leads you and loves you like this. You see, there was a contentment of soul that they found in Christ's humble leadership. Remember back to your memory verse of last week in Psalm 23, verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Remember that? Well, where does that contentment come from? Well, it comes from being loved well, right? It comes from, from being loved and cared for and, and, and taken good care of. One of the books um, that I was, if you go through your, your assignments, at the end of each assignment, you'll sometimes find some, some extra reading materials. And, and I got a hold of the book that he mentioned last week. It was called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. And, and I've enjoyed reading through it as he's given his perspective on, on sheep and shepherding and, and, and Psalm 23. And I just want to read a section for this because I think it de details this whole idea of, of how well loved they were and the difference that that made. Listen to these, this, this section. Um, when all is said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded to them by their owner. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my ranch, uh, my first ranch, excuse me, was the most indifferent manager I'd ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs and cougars and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. In my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in knots, 
staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. What if his sheep did want green grass or fresh water or shade or safety or shelter from the storms? What if they did want relief from wounds and bruises and disease and parasites? He ignored their needs. He couldn't care less. Why should he? They were just sheep, fit only for the slaughterhouse. Well, I never looked at those poor sheep without an accurate, acute awareness that this was precise, a precise picture of those wretched old taskmasters of sin and Satan on their derelict ranch, scoffing at the plight of those within their power. As I have moved among men and women from all strata of society as both pastor and a scientist, I have become increasingly aware of one thing. Focus on this. It is the boss or the manager or the master in people's lives who makes the difference in their destiny. Hear that again. It is the boss or the manager or the master in people's lives who makes the difference in their destiny. You and I could give hundreds of testimonies indicating how accurate that is. But go back to this, this, this section of John 13. Here's his disciples headed out into a crazy world. But what does Jesus do on this last night with them? He loves them well. And so your first calling as a disciple of Jesus is to be loved by Jesus. Before you go do anything for him or to try to impress him, he just calls you to stop and let him love you. Stop. Listen to his humble and loving words. Believe them. Grasp what the cross means for every moment of your life where Jesus humbly gave himself to show to you the worth that you have in his sight. And then, after you have allowed him to love you, go humbly love and serve someone else like you have been loved. I love the applications that were given to us in our Core 52 books this week. Encouragements to say, if you want to jump into this humility of living it out, it's not just how you think of yourself, it's, it's everything to do with how we treat other people. Go then and exalt the humbled Love those that nobody else will touch. Find someone that just is overlooked, forgotten, and, and love them. Or identify and associate with the lowly as if they were dignitaries. Treat them well. Intentionally take the lower seats. Purposefully put yourself in a humble place. Prioritize children or, or, or serve. Serve in surprising ways. Don't do it with your phone out. In fact, leave your phone at home and just go serve someone. Serve in a way that, that no one else may even notice. Don't worry if they thank you or praise you. Just give yourself humbly to serve them. I listened to some material this week and uh, one of the speakers in that material was Rick Warren. And, and I loved what he said. Let me share it with you. That good mental health is thinking of yourself less. The more humble you are, the more mentally healthy you will be. Again, the more humble you are, the more mentally healthy you will be. If you're always walking around thinking about what people think of me, that's pride. 
So this is what he did to help himself with that. Train yourself when you walk into a room to first ask yourself, who needs encouragement? Who needs a look, a word, and a touch? Because Jesus did that. He looked around the room. Who needs a look, a, a word, and a touch? And so when you are truly humble, you aren't thinking of yourself at all. You are simply busy thinking about what others need, and you are oblivious to how you look in that moment. Jesus did that. Jesus lived with humility, and the world was different because of it. You see, he was the one with the crown, and he showed up in the form of a servant, and things began to change. And so do it like Jesus did. Listen again to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You pray with me, please. Father, what good news it is for us that we are loved like that. We are loved by a good shepherd who humbly comes and lays down his life for us, his sheep. And Father, sometimes it's hard for us to stop because we, we feel so driven and so pushed to, to make ourselves worthy of, of your love and deserve what you might give us. Lord, will never be that. And so, Father, I just ask that you help us to stop today. To stop and, and consider our own um, upper room moment, which is the cross. To simply be reminded today that each of us have been loved in a deep and purposeful and passionate way by our humble Savior who gave himself up on that cross. And so, Father, we come and we just ask you to give us the courage to allow you to love us because sometimes it is scary for us to pull down our guard, to pull down our, our pride and to simply say, here I am, broken and flawed. Would you just love me and take me just as I am? And so, Father, thank you for the humble example of Jesus who embraces us, who sees us, who, who speaks a word over us, who touches our hearts, our souls and our minds and our lives. And so, Father, it's my prayer today that you would help us to, to appreciate that humble leadership and then to go and to serve other people in that humble way. We love you and thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are glad that you are, have been with us today. And we want to uh, just remind you that uh, as we continue on in our week number three of our uh, Leave It Better series, uh, we move on to the idea of uh, chapter 49 uh, of mentoring um, and that Jesus left the world better because he, he mentored people, he invested in the lives of people. And so uh, as we celebrate Mother's Day, I think that'll be a great theme uh, for us to use for that day. So I hope you have a great week. Um, keep an eye, eye and ear out for uh, things are changing around us as we try to process how to do all those things and what that looks like. Uh, please keep an eye and ear for your email, social media sites, and those kind of things as we, as we share things about how we can begin to try to integrate back into, into our church family life. And so keep an ear and eye out for those things. Have a great day.